Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. And here's your host for today's show. Welcome, everyone. Today, we drill down into learning Arabic. But even though we're talking about a specific language, there are broader applications to language learning that you'll not want to miss. Katya is my guest today. She has an MA in Applied Linguistics and is just over two years in learning Arabic in the Middle East. Katya, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Do you remember when we first met? The first time I remember meeting was at church, but I think our families have known each other for longer. Right. Your mom grew up with my husband in Peru. That's right. Yep. So we're really glad to hear that you're doing well. Tell us what your current role is, Katya, and what you hope to be doing in the future. Yeah, so I've been studying Arabic for the last two years. And for the last year, as I've been studying Arabic, I also started working for a small startup company that offers instruction in Arabic using the GPA method. I've been both studying with that program and then also working as a coach for the business. Can you tell us in general terms what you plan to be doing in the future? Yeah, so after this, I'm actually hoping to learn a minority language in the area and do some linguistic analysis on that minority language. Your MA in linguistics will sure help you with that. I'm looking forward to using it. We'll talk in a sec about what challenges you see in learners as a coach and a trainer. Could you start us off by telling about your own language learning process? Yeah, so I haven't exactly done a very straight sort of language learning program, but my first exposure to Arabic was actually in some linguistics classes, yeah, maybe eight years ago. So I had a couple of different linguistics classes where I was exposed to Saudi dialects and Jordanian dialects, and then later on I took a class in Modern Standard Arabic, and then once I moved here... I did a little bit of tutoring and then jumped into a language program where I studied for one semester using a traditional language learning method. So I was learning modern standard Arabic and the dialect side by side. And then for the last year and a half, I've just been studying the dialect only. In studying the dialect, what kind of approach have you used and how has that worked for you? I believe you mentioned that you have used and continue to use in your coaching the growing participator approach or what everyone calls GPA. Yeah, Um, the growing participator approach relies more on audio recordings of stories and word logs instead of a more textbook-based method. So for me, I really, really enjoy having the audio recordings to listen to. Um, I think it's super helpful for developing good pronunciation and learning to tell stories, which is what you do a lot when you're communicating, and learning more vernacular parts of speech than you normally learn out of a textbook. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the type of activities you did, specifically because it was Arabic that you've been learning? One that I did that I really enjoyed 
is called listening contrast. Um, so with that, you have different pictures of words that are very similar in sound. They differ just in one sound maybe. And so usually it's dealing with sounds that are really hard for us to hear. So then you can hear the two side by side and point as the language helper says the different words. And it is just super helpful in developing your ability to hear the differences between sounds that initially may sound exactly the same to you. So you really have to practice that so that you can begin to hear, oh, okay, right now they're saying this letter and right now they're saying this letter. So you start out first being able to distinguish the sounds before you even try to pronounce the sounds, correct? Yeah. So I didn't do phase one with GPA because of my weird journey with Arabic, but I've coached phase one maybe three times or so. In phase one, you are only listening for the first two weeks or so. And the idea there is to really train your ears to be able to hear those sounds before you start speaking. Because once you start speaking, your own pronunciation is really cemented in your head. But if you're really getting that input, just listen, listen so intensely, then when it's time for you to open your mouth and start speaking, hopefully it will sound a little bit more like what you've been hearing for the last couple of weeks. Can you pronounce for us some of the pharyngeals that Arabic is famous for? And then maybe give us a contrast that is probably really hard for us to distinguish. Yeah, so you're asking me about <laughs> my hardest sound in Arabic. <laughs> um, the hardest sound for me has been the letter Ain. Two words that have the Ain sound in it that I have a really hard time hearing the difference between. The first one is Alim and Alim. So Alim is scientist and Alim is the world. <laughs> can you try that one more time so we can tune our ears? Alim, Alim. Well, you got me on that one. <laughs> that one's actually a vowel difference. When you are working with language helpers, what has that been like within a framework of an honor-shame culture? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think one way I've seen that play out is in working with language helpers who have a lot of prior experience with instruction in their language. So I worked with a couple of language helpers who were very experienced in teaching in a traditional classroom style. And we were trying to get them to work with us in the GPA program. But it was difficult to come to these teachers who were very experienced and very good in what they did and say, hey, I want you to do this a different way. Um, I want you to do it our way, kind of. Um, and for me, not a fully proficient Arabic speaker, I think that made it even more difficult to come and try to provide instruction to them. And then another way I've seen that play out is with the student trying to coach their language helper or tell them what they want. It's really tricky to tell your language helper I don't want it done that way. I want it done this way, you know, or, oh, the method actually is this way. So I think sometimes there's a time when you need to ask them, hey, it would be helpful for me if we could do it this way. But you just have to be really careful not to shame them in the way that you say it. Say, oh, nope, not like that, you know. 
and still maintain that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think often we come into the situation of working with a language helper and we assume that they're going to get all the methodology right. They're going to do all the comprehension that we ask them to do. Uh, They're going to be able to be tolerant when we don't speak right away. Yeah. It's a tricky job. I mean, just try explaining a word to someone from another language from English. You know, sometimes you don't know how to explain it or, you know, you you forget what it means or, you know, you can't think on the spot. So, yeah, it's not an easy job. It's not a simple thing that they're doing for us. And that's, that's a difficult role for you as a trainer as well. I'm still growing in it for sure. What has it been like for you to come up against learners' expectations? Yeah, I think it's really important to have correct expectations as you're coming into the language learning process, just so that you don't end up frustrated with yourself. So I had a really good friend who was talking to me one time about his process with learning Arabic. And he said, you know, nobody told me before I came that Arabic was a difficult language. And so I thought it was going to be like Spanish and I would be able to speak really quickly. And so he said all this time for, you know, maybe a year or more, I thought I was just dumb and I just couldn't learn language, you know? And it really broke my heart because I thought, man, it's not true. You know, like what you're doing is difficult. It's hard, you know? And so good job for pressing forward and pushing through. But if you come into it thinking that it's going to be easy and then you're struggling, then you feel like, oh, why am I struggling? So you have to, you have to go into it with the expectation of this is hard, but it's doable. And I'm going to have to press through and take breaks when I'm tired. But in the end, Lord willing, you know, I'll be able to communicate. Tell us why Arabic can be specifically challenging for speakers of English. I think there are a lot of sounds that are really difficult for English speakers. They just are quite different from any of the sounds that we have in English. Um, So usually when you learn another language, there are going to be some sounds that are different, but maybe in Arabic it's a few more than usual. Um, And then there are some complexities in the grammar that we don't find in English. So for instance, there's duels. So I can talk about one book, and then there's a different way to say two books, and then a different way to say the plural of books. So that's something we don't have in English is the dual form. And then the verb system is also a bit more complicated than English. Tell us just a few things about the complexities of the verb system. Well, again, you just have more options than you have in English. Um, So if I'm talking to you in English, I just say you or y'all if we're in the South. But in Arabic, I have to specify if the you that I'm talking to is a man or a woman. And if it's just singular or plural, if it's a group of men or a group of women, we have four yous instead of just one. Um, And then there's some tricky things with irregular verbs and stuff like that. Well, let's stick then with that all-important topic of grammar. As a coach, I see that some learners can't get their nose out of a grammar book and just eat up 
pouring over the nuances of verb tenses and the ins and outs of affixes, maybe they get glued to their desks and just won't get out and talk. And then when they do get out, then they try unsuccessfully usually to generate language from the rules. Is GPA at the other extreme? And what is recommended for learning grammar in that approach? Well, a lot of people say that GPA is at the other end. Um, So GPA doesn't use specific grammar rules like you will usually see in a textbook. What they do use is a lot of structured input. In phase one, for instance, you have a lot of activities that are designed to help you focus on a particular grammatical concept. For instance, masculine and feminine colors. So, you know, we can put out a bunch of objects and then kind of go over them to help us see, okay, we have two different sets of colors that we're dealing with here because one is masculine and one is feminine. And how do we figure out how to link those to the words that we're using for these objects here? So you're definitely learning how to use grammar because you have to know grammar in order to be able to talk, to put a sentence together. But the difference is, are you describing it in rules or are you just kind of getting that input through these structured input floods? You mentioned that there was a tension with your learners. Maybe they're not extreme. Maybe they're not so polarized. But what I call a rule-based approach, where you are in that grammar book, and then what I would call more of a communication-based approach. But in Arabic, how do you strike that balance? Because I know you've talked about some frustration. You got to a point that, hey, I need to actually make some materials that have to do with Arabic grammar. I think there's two things going on here. I think the first thing is that a lot of people feel like if they can't see a rule, they don't know grammar. They haven't learned grammar. And I'm saying, no, if you're putting a sentence together, you've learned grammar. You know that this is a verb and you know that this is a noun and you know you are communicating right now using grammar. The second thing is that some people without kind of having those categories in their minds when they go into the session, weren't picking up the grammar things, so grammar points. So I'm trying to create a little bit more structure to help them be able to notice those things. Still not necessarily laying them out in rules, um, although as they get more advanced in Arabic, they're welcome to discuss those things with their language helper in Arabic. But just to say, hey, look, there is such a thing as feminine and masculine. There is such a thing as the root system. And if you know those things, going into it, it makes it a lot easier to understand the input that you're getting and be able to pick up those patterns and use them better. That sounds like a really balanced approach between always asking, why do you say it this way? But landing on the end of how you say it and then feeding in some of the whys as you do get some of those grammar rules or that grammatical information. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Let's get back to modern standard Arabic. And first, can you fill in for some of our listeners what that is exactly? Yeah, so modern standard Arabic is the name that is used for kind of the book Arabic. 
Um, so that is the Arabic that Arabs study in school. Um, and it's used on a lot of radio, television, books are mostly written in modern standard Arabic. Arabs around the Arab world use modern standard Arabic to communicate with each other. Um, since a lot of the dialects in different countries tend to be quite different to the extent that sometimes Arabic speakers from different countries aren't even able to understand each other very well. It's the language of education, of politics, but it's not a language that anybody speaks as their first language. It's learned in schools. You mentioned that in your language learning. So what do you recommend about when to learn modern standard Arabic? Because I know there's a difference of opinion on that. Yeah, that's a big debate. Um, I was reading a thesis written by Jazika Lathrop just last year. Um, it was put out. And she has some really good things to say about this topic. So she was talking about, should you start by learning the dialect or should you start by learning modern standard Arabic or should you learn the two together? And because modern standard Arabic is pretty different from the dialect, you can feel sometimes like you're learning two different languages. So the pronunciation is different. The grammar rules differ in areas vocabulary is different. And I'm talking about basic vocabulary like window and went, you know, I go to the store. Some of your pretty basic vocabulary is different. So if you're trying to learn the two together, it can be confusing because you're learning two grammar systems and two sets of vocabulary sometimes. So then do you start with modern standard Arabic or do you start with the dialect? So she cited several different studies where she said, it's actually more motivating to start with the dialect because you're able to invest in the community more. You're able to participate more. So she said it's more motivating. So there are lower dropout rates. Um, there's higher retention. For me personally, I think it's really great to start with the dialect and then figure out what you want to use modern standard Arabic for. If your goal is to be able to read a certain kind of literature, maybe just focus on learning that kind of vocabulary or something like that. But if you become really fluent in speaking modern standard Arabic, you will actually end up different than most Arabic speakers because they've also learned that in school. So most Arabic speakers don't speak modern standard Arabic fluently. And what do you recommend as far as learning the Arabic script? It takes a lot of time and practice to learn the Arabic script. I think I got the initial understanding of the letters quicker than I expected. So it didn't bother me as much reading right to left as I expected. But I read really slowly and stumblingly for so long. And even now, I'm a pretty slow reader. So it just takes a lot, a lot of practice. Something practical how do you text in Arabic? You can download another keyboard for your phone, and then it's just like normal texting. <laughs> There's not some kind of transliterated, I guess you would say, alphabet? So texting with um, the Latin script? Some people do that. I never learned to text like that. And my preference would be not to use that, because when you're using the Arabic script, it's pretty close to how the letters are pronounced. There's a few letters where 
in your dialect, they may pronounce them differently, but to me, it would be more confusing to use the Latin letters. And you have to throw in some numbers for letters that don't exist in the Latin script. Well, we're anxious to hear your super duper language blooper, but is there any other advice that you would like to give language learners in general or language learners learning Arabic? Yeah, I think just have grace for yourself. Language learning can be difficult. I know when I started language learning, I had to sleep so much more than I did before because I was just so exhausted every day. So just have grace for yourself. Laugh when you make mistakes. I know some people get stressed out when they make mistakes, but I find it hilarious when I mix up shark and stomach, you know? You can make some really funny <laughs> really funny sentences when you mix up similar words. So have fun, you know, and most of all, enjoy the people because that's why we're doing this. Well, okay, we're ready for the super duper language blooper. So I was telling a story to some ladies from my neighborhood. Um, it was actually a story from the New Testament. And I can't even remember specifically which story it was, but it was about Jesus going somewhere and all the people were gathered around him all the time. Everywhere he went, there was always people around him. And I had just learned a new word for gathered around. And so I used this new word that I had just learned. And the ladies were like really with me, you know, and they were nodding and looking at me. And one of the ladies was like kind of responding to me as I was telling the story. And so as I was telling this story, I said, you know, all the people were always gathered around Jesus everywhere he went. And she nodded her head and repeated back the word that I had said, but just slightly changed to mean that all the people were dead around Jesus. And I said, no. And I repeated the word again and she nodded and she said, dead. And I said, no. <laughs> so eventually we got, we got our meaning clarified. And thankfully, I was so glad that I was looking at her and listening to her in addition to what I was saying, because otherwise I would have told my story that wherever Jesus went, all the people were dead around him. <laughs> so what's the difference between dead and gathered around? Mutwelfin is gathered around and mutwafin is dead. So it's just one letter different. Mutwafin has an L sound in the middle and mutwafin doesn't have an L. So. <laughs> that would definitely make a difference. In a big, big difference. Yep. <laughs> Jesus would have been a totally different kind of person. <laughs> yeah. Katya, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much, Marilyn. This has been fun. And thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. And we'll talk to you next time.